Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss the Uncanny X-Men number 152, beginning September 12th on NBC. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Mm. This one was uh, from December 1981 and was on sale in September September 8th of 1981. And it is titled The Hellfire Gambit. Wait a minute. Say that again? It was on sale in September, but the cover date's December? Yeah, that, that's, that's how it goes. September, October, November, December. It's like three months out. Oh, yeah, we, we covered this once before. Yep. De- December is when they were to pull this off the shelf, right? Right. Oh, okay, well, just a reminder for our new listeners. <laughs> Adam, did Speaking you... Speaking of reminding our new listeners things, you should tell them about our exciting, uh, soon-to-be-ending contest. Oh, y- yes. Next issue, number 153. That's the one with Kitty Pride retelling a fairy tale. Well, I am going to be reading from the exact comic book that I will be giving away to one lucky fan. And if you want to be that lucky fan, all you need to do is is one simple thing. You just have to you have to email us or like us or Facebook us and then follow that up with an email to uh, dangerroom at redcapproductions.com and say, hey, I did one of those things. Now enter me into your contest. Uh, there's a very limited pool right now, so the odds of you winning are very high. Do it. And if you leave us a voicemail at 501-GET-X-MEN, you get double entry points. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, back to our regularly scheduled podcast. Adam, did you ever watch Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends? Of course. I never did. I I felt left out. It had Iceman and Firestar. All his friends are mutants. Yeah, I know. It's weird. And they lived in like a... Uh, I've only seen episodes recently because they're on. Uh, they're either on Amazon Prime or Netflix. But there was a couple of episodes featuring the X-Men that I had to watch. They're, really? I did not know that. They're not great. I probably didn't know who the X-Men were at the time, though. But this, I don't know. I mean, I, I watched cartoons like all my life you know as growing up as a kid but um this one completely escaped my radar until much later when i think spider-man and his amazing friends became a comic book i don't think i ever realized that it was a comic book when it was a cartoon and i was little i just thought spider-man was a character that was a cartoon oh really well i guess i don't know i guess i was I have a- very vague memories of the whole thing yeah I don't know. I be I remember being aware of comic books in general. So nineteen this is nineteen eighty one, right? So I was uh I was five years old. So Dang. yeah. That's that's and you must have been like what, four? I don't know. Are are you older than I am? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Not by much. Uh yeah, so I guess that actually goes it makes sense. I mean I, not many people remember too much too much from when they were five. I no, guess that's true. So anyways in the on the cover of this, uh, it's a, I like this cover a lot, actually. It's it's Bob McCloud uh, doing the artwork here. But it is... I got, I got one question about the cover. Why is Storm fighting Silver Sable? <laughs> uh, I think Bob McCloud might have gotten confused. <laughs> You're right, though. I mean, it's, it's a silver-haired woman with a one-piece uh, yoga suit and a pistol. It's weird. So that's not really Emma Frostian. Um, so, yeah. But uh, Storm's dressed up like the White Queen. And below her are the X-Men. You got Nightcrawler and Wolverine kind of looking a little surprised. 
Actually, they all look pretty surprised. The professor especially. This continues the uh, thing last issue where they're, everybody on the cover is just looking at somebody and not actually helping them. <laughs> yes. Well, I think it's because they're confused as to which one do we help? Well, you help Storm, dummies. <laughs> well, but Storm is dressed like the, the White Queen and Silver Sable is dressed like Silver Sable. So they're like, what is going on? I, I don't know who to help. <laughs> Anyways, I said, <laughs> and so we open up this book. Uh, it's written by Chris Claremont, guest penciled by Ma Bob McLeod, inked by Joseph Rubenstein, lettered by Janice Chang, colored by Don Warfield. Hmm. Who? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and then Louise Jones is the editor. Jim Shooter is the editor in chief. So we open up the book with a full page splash of Storm, who, spoilers, is Emma Frost, zapping a Porsche that's being driven by uh, Emma Frost. Spoilers, Storm. Oh, it's going to be really confusing. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not caught up by now, you should probably skip this episode. But we begin with some serious action. Storm, Emma Frost, is lightning bolting the car. It's like, this is not where we left off. This is a little bit later. Yep. Apparently, um, what did happen? <laughs> uh, Storm knocked out all of the, well, Emma Frost knocked out all of the X-Men, and Storm, as Emma Frost, went into Kitty's room. We need nicknames. We'll call, uh, okay, so Emma Frost in the body of Storm is is now going to be referred to as Stemma. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Stemma Frost. Okay. And Storm in the body of Emma Frost is going to be referred to as form <laughs> so wait a minute <clears throat> emma frost in the body of storm is what form stemma stemma oh wait emma, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i can't even keep it straight <laughs> how about this emma frost in the body of storm is stemma because <laughs> she looks that's like storm but she is emma so she starts with st and ends with emma so that's that, what i said <laughs> okay i maybe i'm just getting this straight for myself Okay. I'm going to need a whiteboard and some diagrams. Okay. Uh, maybe maybe we should call Storm in the body of M. Frost um, something completely different. Like... M-Worm. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll just call her Gizmo. We'll, let's call her Frosty. Frosty? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Storm in the body of Emma Frost is Frosty. So we got Stemma and Frosty. Okay. Okay. Uh, so Stemma is black and Frosty is white. Yes. Okay, okay, okay. I got this. I got this now. Okay, so, um, yeah. So Stemma is blasting the car, which is driving crazy, trying to get away, and presumably this takes place uh, minutes after, well, not minutes, but maybe a half hour after uh, Frosty burst in on Kitty Pride because pretty Kitty Pride is still unconscious. And um, oh, that was weird. There's a, in the in the second panel on the second page. There's a face in the in the window, and I just realized it's it's the reflection of Kitty Pride. I was confused at first. Oh, I just, I'm just noticing that for the first time. I thought it was like an ape or something pe peering into the car. <laughs> yeah, I can see how you would make that mistake. So Frosty uh, has got Kitty in the car. They're driving towards the mansion. Stemma somehow figured out that they were coming towards the mansion, so she is gone to intercept them. Kitty wakes up, and she's like, Oh my god, Emma Frost has captured me! But but really, it's Frosty. 
And uh, she tries to escape from Frosty by phasing out of the car. And uh, Frosty reaches out and she's like, oh, no, I'm Storm, but you can't hear me because you're outside of the car. And that's when she accidentally drives through the guardrails and off of a cliff and the car explodes. And here's where Kitty Pride's uh, powers confuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, it says Kitty remembers her training and stays intangible so that her harm does so that her fall does not harm her. How does she not go through the ground? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, that's really something that's not addressed here, but in the future will actually be addressed. Okay. So, yeah. So you're I have right. to wait? Yeah, you know, they're they're still fleshing out the powers, uh, but, but you're right. I mean, she's an object in motion, so by physical logic, she should, whatever speed she is going, she should continue going into the ground until she can slow herself and get herself out of the ground but nope she's just rolling down the hill in a phased state so maybe she's like semi-phased yeah it's somehow her the parts of the her body that are hitting the ground are not phased well no here let me let me let me explain it like this like let's say that you and me adam right now are 100 percent dense right we can't move through objects right okay she is 20 percent dense in that she's kind of sort of phasing through things, but she's got enough density where she's kind of bouncing off the ground, but it doesn't hurt. Yeah, but this is uh, that will get a little more confusing in, in the next page. Oh, all right. <laughs> so, uh, so, so let's wait till then, and maybe you can keep working on that, and we'll see what you say. All right. Well, I'll be honest. I, I kind of skimmed this episode or this issue. So. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Storm is thrown. I'm sorry. Uh, Stemma, Stemma is thrown clear because she's caught, uh, I think she's following the car for some reason to figure out what's going on with her body and Kitty. But then she gets caught in the explosion. And she panics and uh, draws a wind to her, which in her state of panic is so powerful, it blows her miles away with a powerful whoosh, which also sets the uh, the exploding car fire uh, a blaze in the forest. So we don't we don't know what's happened to Frosty yet. Mm-mm. And this is where what I was talking about. The next page, uh, Kitty is half in a tree, uh, presumably half in a rock, and also just sitting on the ground. And she says, "Oh, I may have landed in one piece, but if I want to stay that way, I'd better not relax my concentration till I've pulled myself free of these trees and rocks." So, I don't get it. So, yeah, she's. Uh, I'll stay with my analogy. She's twenty percent dense, and in that she can pass through things, but it's kind of like it's kind of like walking through mud, right? You can work your way through it, but it's kind of sludgy and slowing you down. So, she's not in any danger. It's just difficult to kind of maneuver her twenty percent dense body. Is she sliding into the ground slowly? Uh, her butt is 100% dense. <laughs> oh. <laughs> She's got... I wonder what would happen if I solidified inside something. Ugh. Gross. Did I even do it? I think I'd rather not know. Ow, my head! And that'll be a question that she asks uh, time and time again. I don't know if we actually find an answer. I would imagine with 400 or 500 issues of the X-Men, at some point she solidifies inside of something. Too, with sexy results, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, she has a flashback of the last issue uh, leading up to the point where she phases out of the car. She sees the exploded car 
and she sees Mist Frost, uh, also known as Frosty, and she has an internal debate about whether or not she should rescue her because she's a hero, but then Frosty might try and kick her butt. Um, I like these close-ups of Bob McCloud's uh, Kitty Pride. She, she reminds me of those uh, Wallace and Gromit cartoons. She... Very, uh, what is it? Claymation-y? Yeah. Well, I mean, she also looks uh, kiddish in here, whereas last issue, I don't remember who the artist was, but there were a few panels where she looked like sexy 19-year-old. So that was it a... It was McCloud and somebody else, and she kept going back and forth. It was Jim Sherman, Bob McCloud, and Joseph Rubenstein. Well, he was probably the inker. So uh, I think Jim Sherman is a perv, and Bob McCloud's like, hey, she's a kid. Let's draw her like a kid. <laughs> Uh, but I agree, yeah, it's, it's good uh, It's good artwork and good detailing and lighting and stuff like that. But I want to go back to the flashback really quick. This is like the laziest flashback. There's six panels. Uh, five of them are from last issue, which is fine. It gets us up to speed. But the last panel, I swear to God, is like a tracing of the exact panel that happened like two pages ago of her being in the car. It's very similar, but it's clearly not a tracing. It's a re- It's definitely a redrawing. It's... But it's, yeah, it's, it is the exact same pose. You don't typically see a flat. Remember that thing I did two panels ago? Well, I'm remembering <laughs> it now. That is kind of strange. So, anyways, Storm, or I should say Stemma, flies back to the mansion and goes into Storm's attic room where she meets uh, Shaw, and she is not happy with him at all. I gather my pet that things did not go too well. She explains that a car crashed, she panicked, lost control of her powers, uh, that everything was on fire, and so she couldn't find Storm or Kitty. Uh, Her body is gone, and now she is trapped in this body, in Storm's body. Not so, Emma. You used that Persona Exchange gun to switch your consciousness with Storm's so that you could infiltrate the X-Men and destroy them from within. The device functioned perfectly, if you wish. The process could be repeating with someone else. True, you're no longer a telepath, but you still possess beauty, youth, the power of a goddess. If you ask me, I think Aurora would make an exquisite white queen. So is Shaw saying that she, like, she should keep swapping bodies? Or I mean, presumably they need to find mutants so that she has some sort of power set. I uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole inner circle of the Hellfire Club is like power and mutants and stuff, so it would have to be a mutant. So she, uh kisses Shaw and Shaw, I guess uh, Emma Frost and Sebastian Shaw are lovers. I guess I never really realized that. Um, Yeah, yeah, I guess so. This is a pretty good deal for Shaw. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Get a new woman every couple years. Well, think about that. I mean, that would would be good for, like, for for anybody. Anybody would be like, you know... I'm going to I'm going to switch up my body every couple of years for somebody else who would just keep things exciting but it's still the same person that would be great. You know what else it would be awesome for? Like you would never have to worry about dieting or exercise cuz you'd just go transfer yourself <laughs> into a nice fit body, eat like you never eaten before, and in a couple of years when you've put on 20 pounds, just zap yourself off to another body. <laughs> what kind of gun is this? Yeah, it's a Persona exchange gun. And it, it presumably never gets used again after this issue. Well, the, I mean, so it wasn't exactly clear last issue what happened. And, and I was made, I don't know that I've actually read this issue. I've read that previous issue in the in, in years past. I always thought it was the that um, 
Emma Frost like used like a super concentrated amount of her power to switch their personalities. And and because it was so difficult, she never tried it again. But this whole persona exchange gun to me just feels like a cop out. Well, regardless of how it was done, a good story would give an explanation for why it can never happen again or all the time. Right. Spoilers. Nope. <laughs> Nor do we find out where this gun came from. I mean, I guess we could assume it came from Shaw Industries, but still. And why don't they build another one? Exactly. Hmm. Well, anyways, uh, Kitty has made her decision. She has rescued Frosty, and now they're kind of hanging out in an old drain pipe. Remember, you try to use your psi powers and I'll run. Because <laughs> that'll work. <laughs> you can stay here and starve or be eaten by the wolves. I won't care. She starts talking stormish. I won't hurt. I won't harm you, kit- kitten. Although I thought Storm didn't use contractions. Well, she's when she's frosty, she gets a little confused. Okay, fair enough. Her 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 Emma Frostian tongue doesn't make uh, it, it slurs the words. And she's British too, isn't she? <laughs> I won't harm you, kitten. Wow, I don't do a very <laughs> good British accent. Neither do I. Should be. Am I, am I British? Mm. <laughs> Kitty, I am a rogue. The White Queen ambushed me at her school and used a special gun to switch our minds. She inhabits my body. I am in hers. All right, that was just practice. Well, so <laughs> what you're doing is you're making Emma Frost into Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> <laughs> Hello! <Totally. laughs> uh, Emma Frosty is like, ask me a question that only Aurora would know. Kitty... To which Killy, Kitty Kitty rightly says, you're a telepath. You could read my thoughts. I'm not stupid. <laughs> mm. Very well, that I can't establish my bona fides. Storm wouldn't say that either. Help me out in spite of that. No way, says Kitty. Um, I don't believe you, but I don't know. I guess I guess I have to trust you because you're saying that the X-Men are going to die if I don't help you. And uh, she decides to untie but of course Emma Frost or Frosty has already uh, loosened herself out of the bonds, and that makes Kitty think, "Wait a minute, Aurora taught me that knot, and nobody can get out of it but Aurora. Maybe she is telling the truth." So this is how I feel like this story is phoned in because a good storyteller would have like would have set that up like last issue somehow, mm-hmm. not just like introducing. Uh, persona exchange guns and knots that only Aurora can untie midway through the story. Well, we know about Aurora's knot tying abilities. Yeah, but it just I mean, would have... That's I, just part of the characterization. It would have lent more to the story if earlier in the fir- previous issue she was like, Kitty, let me show you this knot. And then you address it. seemed out of place in the middle of like... A good right a good writer would have a good writer would have worked it in. I suppose. <laughs> not saying Chris Claremont's not a good writer, but I don't think he's quite honed his craft yet. Or he's not writing this issue. <laughs> <laughs> Bob McCloud is. He might be, and Chris Claremont's like, Yeah, I bless that issue. Put my name on there. <laughs> what else? <clears throat> so meanwhile, inside of the mansion, the Hellfire Club Surrounded by hellfire goons who are now in blue jumpsuits and red jumpsuits surround the X-Men who are tied up uh, and are on the couch. So I have like a question about the professor. Yeah. Um, Did they put the blanket on him or was he just, does he just always wear a blanket or? 
or are the art, artists who draw the professor just really lazy because he wears a blanket all the time he can't move his legs so his legs are very cold but if he can't feel his legs shouldn't they not like i don't know art, I, I, I i don't know anything about paralysis so is that how it works it's it's very it's just very cold uh sure <laughs> Uh, also, I'm kind of flipping back and forth here, and it looks like they also changed the professor's suit because uh, it keeps changing colors. And <laughs> in one panel, it looks like he's wearing an ascot, but he's not here. He's just wearing a shirt. Uh, well, they put on a co- they put a collar on him as they put on all of the X Men around their necks and their waist. Yeah, that's not the ascot. I was talking about in the previous issue, and in this <laughs> issue, he's wearing just a like a like a, a suit coat, vest, and a dress shirt. And a pink blanket. <laughs> Why is it pink? Yeah. I just that's just the blanket that was around. I have a pink blanket. Maybe Bob McCloud got to his legs and he's like, I'm so done drawing legs. I'm just gonna throw a blanket over him. Uh Amanda Sefton, as should be point out, does not have any uh inhibitor or collars or whatever. Uh presumably because these are I don't know, they they just think she's just a girl. And without, without, uh, and these are power collars, power mm-hmm. sucker collars. Of course they are. Uh, so Storm and Sebastian Shaw, or I should say Stemma and Sebastian Shaw, walk into the door, and they're all kind of wondering how or, or why Storm, uh, or I guess Nightcrawler, I'm going to go back. Nightcrawler said that they wouldn't have uh, been beaten if it wasn't for Storm. Why did she turn on us? And that's when she comes in, and she's all like, because evil's cooler, and here I am. I like it. Now she's in the White Queen outfit. So I guess they drove to the Hellfire Club, picked up one of the White Queen outfits, drove back out to the mansion just to make this grand entrance. Uh, no, uh, Sebastian Shaw had one uh, already there at the mansion. When when they when he arrived at the mansion, he had already brought a uh, White Queen uniform. Oh, which uh, in the last time that he met up with Storm, he managed to get her sizes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like before you punch me, what's your waist? <laughs> oh, and, and your bust? Okay, <laughs> inseam. All right. Either that, or she's exactly the same size as Emma Frost. I doubt that. So Wolverine isn't buying it. He's like, "What a crock, lady!" But uh, what's his Leland? He's like. Oh, I'm mad at you. I'm going to teach you some manners. We're going to resume our old uh, back and forth that we had last time we met. And not only that, but these guys that you uh, almost killed, are we made them into androids. And, and they're, now they're going to, or cyborgs. And now they're going to kill you. And they're the guys in the red uniforms. It's been a while since we met. Beneath the Hellfire Club, fella, you and you got me and my men up pretty good. We might have died, but we didn't. Now we got powers and strength to match your own, and tonight we're going to use them to pay you back for what you did with interest. And I believe uh, we had thought or commented, at least on the podcast, that it looked like Wolverine had killed them in that issue. So I, I guess he he tried. <laughs> <laughs> he tried very hard and was unsuccessful. So there you go. Uh, so the professor's kind of begging Storm, like, Storm, you must put or Shaw, you must put an end to this in the name of humanity. So he's pleading his case to both Storm and Shaw. 
that just feels like no. The professor wouldn't do that, and he also wouldn't say in the name of humanity. I mean, what is he? What is he talking about? I like, don't. is it a is it a dire like the world's gonna end if you don't rescue the X Men? We were on a mission. Right. No. No, it's not. Uh, it's just, I guess, an excuse for Shaw to say, what's an odd request, Professor, especially since it concerns Wolverine, who knows nothing of humanity. So I think he's pleading for Wolverine's life. But the Professor should know that, well, I'm pretty sure Wolverine can take care of himself. Not only that, but how often do you, like, beg for your friends' lives for supervillains? Probably every month. <laughs> <laughs> Has it ever worked? Yeah, no. <laughs> that one time. <laughs> So uh, he uh, Shaw goes on, and uh, Kurt thinks to himself that, uh, well, you might think we're helpless, but you are unaware of my lady friend Amanda. And down below, Amanda kind of gives a knowing look. <laughs> She's looking off into space. I wonder when they want me to do something. I wonder when Empire Strikes Back is going to come out. <laughs> That'll be cool. Um, another question. What happened to Lee Forrester? <laughs> you know, I wanted to bring that up last issue, but I totally forgot. I'm I'm going to give it like a good two or three episode or issues because I just have to imagine that, I mean, Wolverine is not a lover and lever type guy. You mean Cyclops? Whoever. <laughs> Cyclops. <laughs> yes. I just have to imagine that. that uh... So she's she's somewhere in the mansion. She's sleeping through all this. Yeah, yeah. Or she's visiting uh, her father's grave. <laughs> Actually, I'm flipping ahead, and I think Lee Forrester's done. <laughs> so that's <laughs> kind of so too. That's kind of crappy. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so back in the car, uh, back in a car, um, Kitty and Frosty have hooked up with Stevie Hunter, and they're driving towards the mansion. No, that's cool. Good old Stevie. Stevie to the rescue. Uh, so it looks like Frosty is kind of ducking below the dashboard and she's using her telepathic powers to kind of scope out what's going on ahead. And for some reason, Kitty decides to stick her head out the side of the car and be like, boop, I can't see anything. Are you insane, child? Phasing through the door like that? Why not simply announce our presence at the top of your lungs or shoot off flares? We're outnumbered and outgunned, Kitty. Our only hope is to take them completely by surprise. And she... So Kitty's phasing her head. <laughs> but uh, Frosty grabs her by the pants. So she, must, so she must only be phasing like half her body or something. Yeah, her butt is still 100% uh, dense. Wouldn't that? Wouldn't you be like worried about pulling Kitty back through the car? Like you'd surprise her and she'd actually accidentally unfaze? Yeah, my head is stuck in the door. <laughs> uh, she's got really good training. Like she's, she's, her and the professor have worked through that exercise. But you're right. That would be uh, pretty funny if she lost her concentration and her head went rolling down the highway. And that was the end of Kitty. <laughs> God, why didn't they do that more in comic books? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Stor uh, Kitty thinks to herself, that's a storm riff if I ever heard one. No one can be that good of an actress. I'm beginning to believe her. So they stop the car toward a pond that's, I guess, pretty close to the mansion. And uh, Stem or uh, Frosty thanks Stevie Hunter. Stevie Hunter says, well... Uh, I came running because I heard your voice in my head, and I don't ignore that. So <laughs> rather than running away, I came to help you. Just weird, but here I am. Yeah, Stevie knows they're mutants, so. Yeah, I suppose. So she has a, 
she has a loving kind of a loving moment with Kitty, like, oh, I'll miss you, but but hang in there, you'll do all right. And that's when Kiddo, your life scares the beans out of me, but you're friends and I stand by those I love no matter what. Frosty's kind of like, oh, Kitty's feelings for Stevie are as strong as they are for me. Um, I like Stevie, but I'm still jealous. <laughs> as shown in the uh, in the shot where Kitty is hugging Stevie, uh, Frosty has this look on her face like, what? <laughs> I, and so Frosty grabs Kitty by the hand and leads her away. <laughs> it's kind of what it looks like anyways. <laughs> Let's go this way. But she does think to herself, it's unfair to Stevie, unworthy of me, yet I can't help myself. I've come to think of Kitty as my own child. I resent having to share her. Ah, so much drama. And we notice that Frosty has changed into the outfit on the cover of the issue. Yeah. Uh, Well, maybe this is probably a a dance uniform that uh, Stevie brought along. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. They don't out and out, yeah, they don't outright say it, but it makes sense. Um. So as uh, so so Kitty and Frosty are off. Stevie is turning around to get in the car to head back home when Sebastian Shaw shows up and throws his or throws Stevie's car aside. Which frankly sucks. I mean, Stevie's like got to make payments on that car, and now I mean, hanging out with mutants is is terrible. She just like ruined her car. And you know, the professor's not going to cover that damage. No way. He's stingy. He's going to be like, you never had a car. <laughs> Mind wipe. Huh? Huh. I used to walk everywhere, I guess. All right. Um, so Stemma introduces Sebastian Shaw to uh, Stevie Hunter, and they pretty much figure out that she's up to something, and they want to know what it is. The straights look dire for Stevie. Meanwhile... In the danger room, the two red-outfitted cyborg people are beating the crap out of Wolverine. And Harry Leland is also in the room just kind of keeping, supervising, I suppose, and and dumping weight on uh, Wolverine as needed. So I want to draw your attention to the second panel here, where Wolverine must have gotten to know one of them because he says, Cole, Cole, you talk too flaming much. I noticed that. Uh, where did that name come from? So I don't know if it came from, what was it, like 123 or 133 or whatever that last issue was. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that Cole is a reoccurring character. Okay. So, like, is this the first mention of his name or? That's a really good question. Um, I guess I... it just kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. I would have to look back, obviously, in issue number 133 to see if maybe one of the guys like, Cole, I don't like these mutants. But that would be the only way it would have been dropped. To me, they were just two named, well, you know, that wouldn't surprise me. Because that's that scene where he's like above them and then he drops down. And Okay, so uh, I'm looking back at 133 and their names are Murray, Angelo, Cole, and um, Rosen. Okay, so two and, of those guys are dead, because there's only two of these red guys left. And Wolverine never mentions any of their names, but I guess I guess he must remember them. <laughs> or right before they're beating the crap out of them, they're like, hey, my name's Cole, punch, punch. <laughs> hey, my name's Murray, punch, punch. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> hey, I kept that in mind. 
Cole, you talk too flaming much. <laughs> I'm not Cole. It's Rosen. <laughs> Cole's over there. So just put a pin in that uh, if we can remember. Uh, but I, I'm pretty sure he's a reoccurring character. So, anyways. Okay. Do we know who the other one is? No, not a clue. Not saying he's not anybody, but I at this point in the comic book, I don't know who he is. He's one of those four guys. Yes. Whose names I've already forgotten. <laughs> yeah, we're going to say he's Rosen. So yes, uh, Leland is increasing his density and eventually increases his density so much that Wolverine collapses and apparently dies. And the professor is shocked. <laughs> uh, no. And uh, Leland's like, wow, I, I, I thought he was uh, a little bit stronger than that. Well. It's a bit of a disappointment. Yeah. Don't don't uh, don't forget this and uh, don't get out of line. Otherwise, something like this might happen to you, Leland says. I just I love the look on the professor's face. It's priceless. Oh. What? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Colossus is upset. Wolverine dead? Oh, yeah. You will be avenged. We haven't mentioned yet, but Cyclops is has a face mask on, and I don't know if he can see what's going on. He can't see. He can't breathe. <laughs> He's been dying slow. No, it's a it's a ruby quartz mask. Yeah. So uh, who knows if he's having a reaction to uh, Wolverine dying or not? And uh, uh, M- or, um, Amanda Sefton certainly is. She's all surrounded by uh, red, and apparently she has been drawing sigils or sigils, however it's pronounced, in the air in front of her. So I don't know if she's doing that with her eyes or maybe she's doing that slightly with her fingers, but she's casting a spell. She's vibrating. <laughs> yes. Kurt as forgot. far as she is concerned, all is going to plan. Hmm. But apparently nobody else realizes that, including Nightcrawler. Who nope. Remembers who mentioned or who thought about her before. Meanwhile, a few or a mile or so away, uh, Kitty is doing some reconnaissance. She's come back. She notes that the hangar is empty. There's no guards. Um, the entrance is locked. She could try to disrupt the circuits, but that would probably set off some alarms. So that's when Frosty hatches a plan to engage in a psionic rapport with Kitty to basically get her down in there so that she can use her lock-picking ability through Kitty's body. And her first attempt does not work at all. Uh, she she makes Kitty nauseous, essentially. And uh, Kitty says, he knows what he's doing. You almost fried my brain. As far as like when the professor teaches, teaches her stuff. Mm-hmm. But apparently uh, she remembers some things that Jean Grey once said about uh, being relaxed and it's really easy. So don't worry, just do it. <laughs> and the second time apparently works. Yep. Kitty works her way down there. She doesn't like the idea of anybody in her head. Uh, but the more, um, let's see. The more she spends time with Miss Frost, the more she's become, she's, she's, the more sure she is that it's actually Aurora. And Aurora, I would, and Aurora, I trust with my soul. And that makes Frosty happy. Uh, and uh, she con- she's concentrating and Kitty's concentrating and uh, that's when Stemma and Shaw sneaks up behind uh, Frosty who apparently they don't recognize right away. No? And Well, she says, pardon us for disturbing you, young lady. Oh. And then after she bl- uh, knocks her up off of her knees with a gust of wind, she says, Sebastian, look, it's Aurora. She's alive. Right, yeah, because they thought she was dead. 
Yeah, so that right. makes sense. I guess I didn't really catch that, but totally makes sense. Uh, it stands to reason that that brat lived as well. Where is Kitty Pride? And that's when I don't know what happens. Kitty uh, releases the hatch that I suppose that is what they were attempting to unlock. Oh, this must be the hangar hatch. Okay. Yeah, and uh, Frosty dives in, and Kitty Emergency closes it and locks Stemma and uh, Shaw. <laughs> so many names <laughs> outside of the hangar. Shaw commands Stemma to go back to the mansion and take the unconscious Miss Hunter with her. But. So we know you know what happened. We know what happened to Miss Hunter. But before you go, strike me with a bolt of lightning, because I'm going to use it uh, to be strong and stuff. Yup. We don't get to see that, but presumably Storm does strike him with some, or Stemma strikes him with some lightning. But uh, meanwhile, Kitty makes it uh, the mile from the hangar complex to the main house. She knows this like the back of her hand, because last Christmas, while being chased by a demon, she covered the distance in record time. Tonight, she moves even faster. <laughs> wow. So, and she gets caught by a hand who pulls her around the shoulder and says, Come here, kid. Oomph! And it's Wolverine. And she even says, Wolverine! But, but, I heard a card say you'd been killed! That's an unnecessary dialogue balloon. <laughs> and what, when did she hear that? Apparently the guards are like, Hey, did you hear about Wolverine? He's dead. Oh, no. I didn't hear about Wolverine dying. Pass <laughs> along. Let me go tell L. Yeah, you know what Cole did? <laughs> Anyways, so uh, Wolverine's like, I heard the same thing about you, but now let's go free our people. Here's what you're going to do. He he does a plan, and we get to see the effects of the plan immediately as Kitty races into the room where the X-Men are and phases through all of their collars. All the collars. Everybody's, everybody's got a goofy look on their face like, whoa! This is the cool. greatest thing I've seen all day! Um, so I guess my biggest problem here is when Kitty releases the professor, why doesn't he immediately put everybody in like a mind hold? Um, yeah. <laughs> the professor doesn't do anything, but Leland, he's about to increase everybody's density, but it doesn't matter because Colossus gets the jump on him and throws him aside because he is apparently not affected by the density in his armored form. Uh, Nightcrawler teleports in and punches him in the face. You may and increase. He teleports on top of him so that if he increases his mass, it'll crush him, mm -hmm. which is a smart move on Nightcrawler's part. This is for Wolverine. Fine. Colossus, I'm sorry, Cyclops apparently uh, moves with the speed of years of practice. Cyclops dons his ruby quartz visor, the only thing capable of controlling his deadly optic blasts, which was hidden in his belt. <laughs> You know it. <laughs> Which I'm like, what? Nobody searched him. Was like, hey, this optic blast thing. Let's just. We don't. He doesn't need this. He's got them hidden all over his body. They didn't find the one on the belt, but <laughs> if, he, if he had, he would have used the one on the boot. You don't even want to know uh, where he keeps the third one. But he and has if, one. If they didn't find all of those, he would have hidden one behind his eyes. <laughs> My deadly eyes behind them. So he starts zapping away, and uh, Wolverine jumps in, and he starts slashing up guns, and Nightcrawler's like, oh, you're alive. I'm so happy right now. And that's when Cole says, that situation can be easily remedied. Want to bet, Cole? We get some back and forth between 
Cole and Wolverine about how Cole has been made into a freak, a part human, but mostly machine. And Wolverine says, is that all? Man, you're pathetic. And Cole says, you better kill me. And Wolverine says, no, I'm not going to do it because you're alive. Cole, a thinking, breathing, feeling human being, or at least you're supposed to be. Artificial parts, mechanical limbs can't take that essential humanity away. Just as flesh and blood can't give it to you. I could grant you wish, bub, but you aren't worth the effort. So, yeah. Turning point for Wolverine, maybe. <laughs> Shaw busts in and he's like, eloquent words, Wolverine, but, but now I'm going to kill you and put that on your tombstone. So, apparently... They fight. Uh, well, apparently, I thought Shaw told Storm or uh, Stemma to go back to the mansion while he would rip open the uh, the the hatch. Yeah. Well, so... Did they do that? But then after Stemma brought Stevie Hunter back to the mansion, she came back again? So he, he opened up the, the hangar. They were gone. And so he whipped out his portable phone, called Stemma. and was like, hey, I need you to come back here. I need you to hit me with another bolt of lightning. And then I need you to run with me back to the mansion. No, Adam, this is just a poorly written issue. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> There's no logic behind it. But uh, Storm comes or Stemma comes in blasting Colossus. Well, uh, Cyclops, he's like, well, shock absorbs kinetic energy, so I can't shoot him, but maybe I can shoot something to toss him off balance. And when he's off balance, that's when Colossus comes and does a fastball special toss and throws him into the lake. The idea being that any kinetic energy he absorbed from all of that, he'll have to burn up as he swims uh, from the lake back to the shore, which that's pretty clever. Yeah, it's just uh, everybody's coming up with good plans this issue. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, except for the bad guys. Yeah, Nightcrawler. He attacks Stemma, and he still thinks that she's Storm. Which I guess at this point nobody would know the wiser. Well, yeah. I mean, they all just think that Storm had a change of heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, we never see Cole again. Nope. <laughs> He's uh he's sad. He's he's seeking out some therapy right now. And so Storm is losing control of her weather power. She uh looks like she zaps Nightcrawler. Uh Frosty noticed before that there was a storm coming. Yep. Um and it turns out that as she feared, Stemma Stemma's usage of her powers has triggered a wild weather effect. Uh, so that's that's new. So the wind is picking up. It looks like uh, Stemma is going to be blown away. She's kind of like half upside down. Shaw has, meanwhile, made it from the lake, and he's running toward the X-Men and Stemma when lightning strikes Shaw again, and he falls to the ground. Stemma is like, oh, my God, Shaw, I just shot him. Well, she didn't. It was just the weather that shot him, and wow. apparently, according to Frosty, the bolt that struck Shaw filled him with more raw energy than his system could assimilate. This overload has either stunned or slain him. Yep. Uh, and Stemma is blaming herself. I mean, she's pretty mortified here. Yeah, she's in a bit of a, a state of shock, and that's when uh, Frosty tries to convince her to let her into. Uh, to to form a psionic rapport with her, so that she can get her to manipulate the storm back into its natural state. But Stemma refuses. Well, kind of 
rejects her. And that's when they go up into the air, um, and we get the cover scene, uh, and Frosty pulls out a gun, which they say that... Uh, <laughs> how's this for, for bad writing? Um, let's see, where is it? Is it the Aurora has the Persona exchange module? Existence and location picked from the White Queen's thoughts during their scuffle in the forest? She yes, means to use yes. it? Yeah, that that's it. <laughs> yeah, that kind of came out of nowhere, where it's like, one more time. Like, it would have been nice to have a little bit of, like, set it up so that we can knock it down here. But, nope, it's just, uh, we did this, by the way. Oh, she's got a gun. Oh, here's how she got it. Oh, she used over. it. <laughs> uh, the battles, or let's see, the White Queen means to stop her at any cost. So, uh, Stem uh, doesn't want Frosty to use the gun. I guess. Yeah, Stemma doesn't want Frosty really to do much of anything. Um, it, it seems like she kind of lets Frosty into her head a little bit so that Frosty can regain control over the storm because it uh, slowly, gradually, Aurora reduces the Tempest to a semblance of normalcy, and that's when uh, Stemma drops from the sky. And Cyclops says, they're over the lake, look. Stemma is falling. <laughs> I'm going to call her Stemma. <laughs> well, it's it's Frosty that's falling. Yes. But it's not. Right. That's we, true. We find out on the next page that Frosty shot Stemma and they reverted back to their body. So now we can say Emma Frost was falling to the ground. Uh, and apparently she was just going to fall into the lake. But Storm comes flying down and she's like, uh... I wanted you to die, but I moved you onto the shore. Which, you know, true to Emma Frost's nature is a mistake as she attempts to blast her with a cybolt or a telepathic assault, uh, which gives Aurora the chance to blast her with lightning, which she does. And then she strips off the White Queen outfit with a burst of energy and she's naked. Woohoo! So it's, uh, well, Emma Frost was going to use. And some- here we finally have. Professor's blanket. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, here, put this on, Aurora. See, now that's called setting it up so you can knock it down later. <laughs> we showed the blanket, now we're using the blanket. No, uh, so Emma Frost, uh, she says that she's going to use telepathic blast on her. There's no way that Storm can avoid it because this is what she did last time. And Storm apparently has practiced, or because she had her powers, she is able to, like, resist Emma Frost's telepathic attack, which, I don't know, doesn't make too much sense to me. But whatever, it's what happens. So she's going to go in, she's going to kill Emma Frost, but Wolverine comes in, he's like, no, killings for soldiers or animals or something, and you're not, so you should be better. Leave the killing to me. It'd be a shame to spoil it for the likes of her. Uh, your beauty, Aurora, that they're, you're beautiful because uh, you don't kill. That's That's really cool. <laughs> essentially I, I really admire that actually it's hey. strange hearing sorry I'm bleeding back into my Canadian self such philosophy from your lips my friend but your point is taken and hey, you know. Kitty wants to know if she should call the police but Storm's like nah if we tell them about the Hellfire Club that we will expose ourselves as the X-Men and we can't take that so our our Mutual fear of discovery lies mutual safety. Uh, Emma Frost confirms that, that she'll stay silent. She has their word. 
inner circle, the secret evil heart of the Hellfire Club, is nothing without Shaw until he recovers. If he recovers, you have nothing to fear from us. You don't typically refer to yourself as evil. <laughs> uh, well, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants do. Right. That's true. Uh, and so, and the Kitty... The wakes up from his nap. Oh, man. Uh, Sorry I didn't help you guys. Nightcrawler wants to know if Kitty's okay, and Emma Frost's like, you can have her, I don't even want her. And then she thinks to herself, but when everything is... Uh, I swear, Windrider, with all my heart and soul, that though we've lost this battle, the war between us is not over until the X-Men are both dead and damned. Um, Nightcrawler says that asks if they can have Kitty Pride back, but isn't that the jurisdiction of Kitty's parents? Right. Supposedly it was Kitty's parents' idea that she go to the Frost Institute. So, so what is uh, the professor going to call up and be like, hey, uh, I talked to Miss Frost and she totally said we could have her back. So uh, is that cool? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Again, it's poorly written. Uh, I don't think Cyclops said anything in this past two issues, but he was there. He thought uh, about knocking uh, Shaw over. Mainly he was thinking about Lee Forrester. Yeah. I wonder what ever happened to her. She was pretty. He stands aside in this last panel. So it's like all of the X-Men and then Cyclops off to the side. He's thinking to himself, my eyes. <laughs> I can never so get close to these people again. Uh, we're promised that next issue we'll get some Dave Cockrum back and Kitty's fairy tale. This is the issue that you could win as a contestant on the Danger Room's first contest. And all you have to do, as I said at the beginning, is follow us or like us or email us. And you can do that at these following places. You can go to uh, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room podcast. You can follow us at Danger Room Go. You can email us, red, or Danger Room at redcapproductions.com. You can go out to the iTunes and search for Danger Room, and on there, leave us a five-star review uh, and some, perhaps, words of encouragement. Uh, we're also on Stitcher, so you can get your fill there. Um, you can also call us at 501-GET-X-MEN, leave us a little voicemail, and we've kind of opened up the floodgates uh, as to what you can say or what you can do, so take advantage of that. Um... I th I think that's it. Got a letter on the email from a Kirk Cicada, uh, or Cicada, talking about the Teen Titans and the X-Men. Uh, he was reading both DC and Marvel comics at the time that book that we did two episodes ago was released. Um, and I'll, I'll go through this briefly. Some of it's pretty interesting. Uh... The book was going to be published, it was going to be a Legion of Superheroes and the X-Men team up because Dave Cockrum uh, created kind of all the characters or had, was instrumental in both of their uh, creations. Team-wise, that seems like it would have made more sense, to be honest. But, but uh, the reason that they did the Teen Titans is because the Teen Titans had become the number one best-selling DC book at the time, and its numbers were... Uh, as good as the X-Men's. So they basically combined like the number one DC book with the number one X-Men uh, Marvel book, which made more sense. Absolutely. So, uh, doesn't know why Cockrum dropped out of the project. Probably because he felt slighted that his characters weren't going to be used. Probably. He was probably ticked off, man. <laughs> At the time, the creative teams in the Marvel DC joints typically rotated between the two companies. 
While Marvel was in charge with the Titans X-Men book, DC would be in charge of the next book, which was the JLA and the Avengers. Perez had left the Avengers to focus on the Teen Titans, but uh, he apparently illustrated the JLA Avengers, but it didn't get published because Jim Shooter requested a rewrite and the project was revived in the 2000s when Kurt Busiek developed an entirely different story. Hmm. Oh, and it was used as like a flashback, yeah. Uh, Dark Side and the Parademons, Apocalypse, Metron, and the Mobius Chair were all invented by Jark, Jack Kirby, uh, which I almost combined into one name, a jark, Jarky. <laughs> jarky. Good old Jarky. I'm sure he would have liked that. In the 70s, doing his uh, New Gods Fourth World series, which is at my local library, and I see it all the time, and I'm like, I should really read that. Yeah, man. It's like, it looks like classic Kirby, but I don't know. I just never pick it up. Hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's got New Gods, Forever People, Mr. Miracle, Commandy, and Omac, all things that I'm vaguely familiar with. I know but, none of those names. Uh, Dark Side made rare appearances until the early 80s and then became a major villain. And uh, the book, uh, the, the Titans' popularity eroded when Perez left the series and was replaced with far less uh, fan favorite artists. He returned on a second run, but the book never enjoyed the success of the early 80s run. And uh, apparently, Raven's powers. Uh, included the ability to emit a bird-shaped entity, her soul self. Hmm. It was reminiscent of the Phoenix effect. So I, I guess we didn't really figure out what her powers were last issue Yeah, or, uh, in that episode. So I was looking forward to our continuing uh, commentary. Thank you. So it's but, it's timely, but I was at my uh, half local half-priced books the other day, uh, literally like two days ago, and... Uh, over they have a little comic book section filled with comic books that are in terrible condition that are way overpriced. But uh, underneath it, they had like uh, I don't know where these things came from, but they're like superhero matchbox cars. I'm sure you've seen them, right? They have nothing. Uh, no, but it sounds like something that would. <laughs> so they had uh, this must have been a DC line because they had like a like a plastic man um, convertible. And they happened to have like a dark side van, and I was like, "Oh, I should buy that," but I didn't. <laughs> it's just, and it's just a van that on the side of it says "dark side," and I think on the other side it has his face. Does it have like his color scheme or something? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the convertible has uh, or um, Plastic Man's color scheme. This thing had the the gray and the blue going on, and it was, and it wasn't just like a minivan or anything. It was like one of those seventies uh, conception. No, uh, conception, not conception. Uh, yeah, conception. No, what am, concept vans where they look all space age, but seventies space age. Hmm. So I don't know. I should maybe I should have picked it up, but but yeah, those exist. Um, we've got a couple of things on the Facebook. Alan Middleton. This is this is my favorite comment uh, from the episode, and it took me a minute here to find it. But he says, "Hilarious episode." Since I am much more of a DC fanboy than a Marvel zombie, your shocking lack of knowledge was quite entertaining. And I hope our shocking lack of knowledge is always entertaining. <laughs> I think our DC knowledge is even shockingly more. <laughs> but uh, David Steele, he also wrote in and said uh, uh, that he's really been enjoying the podcast. He never really liked the post-burn pre-Romita series. 
Uh, and I think I'm in that same camp, to be quite honest. But um, he's looking forward to covering issues of Defenders when the Beast gets involved. Uh, and he'd also like to throw his two cents in on giving coverage to all the mutant-related books. Uh, he think he'd like to hear something like uh, what we do now where they give the bulk of the cast of that uh, to that month's X-Men, but also cover the important stuff in other comics like New Mutants X-Factor. When the big crossovers like Mutant Massacre and Fall of the Mutants uh, start, he thinks that it would be cool if each podcast gave an overview of all comics published each month, uh, maybe in more detailed version than what you've been doing with Dallas Lauren Avengers. I agree with that. Uh, and he knows it's a long way off, but he really hopes that we do full co- podcasts on each issue of the first Secret Wars series. I think they could be a laugh riot. Uh, <laughs> hope you're doing well. I have thought of that, actually. You know, <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I can't give away too much because I've, I've never read the first Secret Wars. I know that the X-Men, as well as just about everybody else in the Marvel Universe, is involved. Uh so it may it be it's just going to be a great excuse for me to finally read that series, but I w- I will say this I did buy the Secret Wars omnibus. Maybe I can find mine on sale because I can't imagine that that sold very well. <laughs> Maybe it did though. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Uh, and I think didn't that take place fully in its own miniseries? Like I don't think that that necessarily broke out into other comics. Yeah, I actually was researching this. Uh the other day and the it goes the issue of x-men that happens and then the first issue of secret wars comes out that same month and then the next issue of x-men the following month secret wars is over but secret wars continues through the next 11 months is it 12 issues it's 12 issues holy crap (laughs) and uh so it's weird it's like it's already ended, but we don't know what happened. Yeah, I'm familiar with where they're zapped into Secret War, Secret Wars, but I may not actually have the issue after that. So that'll be interesting. Well, when we get to that point, we'll we'll make a plan. But but uh, so we're not we're definitely not saying no to that idea. Um, and that's it. So yeah, like I said, there's all those places you can get a hold of us, and you can win a free comic book for God's sakes—a comic book that will be read on this podcast. It'll have been in my hands. Uh, and you don't want to know where those have been, but <laughs> <laughs> and just to make sure that it's especially valuable, I'm not going to do any voices next issue. Oh my! It's going to, it's going to be the Jeremy Hour. I'm Adam's just going to be here, kind of breathing, so you'll know <laughs> he's here, but he's not going to say a single word. I'm going to introduce the show, and then I'm going to go drink. <laughs> <laughs> wow! When I get back, I'm going to be wasted. <laughs> yeah, then you can tell me how he did. He's awesome. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Don't look at my woman like that. Adam, I can't see you. You you can see me. <laughs> All right. Anyways, um I did a little uh Dazzler reading. Oh yeah? Yes, Tell sir. Uh this was issue number ten. Also oh, This is the Galactus one, right? Heck yeah. I'm kind of excited about this one. Well, I'm going to briefly go over it. I mean, this is going to be like a speed round. Uh, this this one also is promoting Spider-Man and his amazing friends, so you know it happened in the same month. Uh, basically, what happened when we last left is that there was a drone who was talking about this woman and her power, and we find that that's the drone, I think his name is R11, who works for or was created by Galactus, and because... Dazzler absorbed all of Claw's power. She's now emanating super high charts of power. 
and that has drawn the drone R11 towards her and Earth, and she is the only one who can help Galactus. Whoa. So Galactus has got some sort of dilemma. Some other crap happens with Quasar and some of the uh, guards trying to go find Dazzler, but it doesn't matter because Galactus's ship shows up and sucks Dazzler up into the ship. Quasar tries to get her out, but meh, we're done with that storyline now. <laughs> so she's in the the sphere, the sphere ship of Galactus, and she meets R11, and uh, she they have a big back and forth, and she he explains that. She's on uh, Galactus's ship, and she's like, oh, I read about Galactus from the Fantastic Four files, or something stupid like that. They take a walk through Galactus. <laughs> <laughs> they take a walk through Galactus's zoo, and she's like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm just Allison Blair. I shouldn't even be here. Galactus doesn't have any need for me. And R11's like, you're a trillion miles away from Earth, so you should probably hear him out. He also says, like, you are not allowed to see Galactus, but she's like, I don't care. I'm going to go see him. So they get to Galactus's laboratory where apparently he ponders the mysteries of existence. Uh, so apparently Galactus just sits around in his little sphere thinking about things. <laughs> He's like the hungry watcher. <laughs> yes. When I'm not eating, I'm thinking, hmm, where did we come from? So she's trying to get his attention, but R11's like, he won't talk to you. You're not worthy of talking to to uh, him. And so she, she's like, oh, I remember I have all of Claw's powers. So she makes this gigantic beam and shoots Galactus in the back. And he's like, drone, why am I being disturbed? So he won't even acknowledge Dazzler. And apparently then, well, I guess uh, before I get to that, Everybody who's in her life, her manager, her bodyguard, uh, the doctor, everybody uh, wants to know where Dazzler is because she's been gone for a week. Her father, her grandmother, and her father's like, I have no daughter. But then he goes outside and he wonders uh, if his duty is to principle, when does that end and when does his duty to flesh and blood begin? So he's got his own demons to deal with. But meanwhile, back up on the sphere... Uh, they, uh, well, Galactus tells apparently his drone a story of all of his previous heralds from Silver Surfer to Gabriel the Airwalker to Fl Fire Lord to some other guys. And his latest uh, herald was named um, Terax. Terax was given a lot of power, uh, but then he betrayed Galactus. And Galactus called him back, and Terax was like, I'm coming back. But he didn't come back, so... Uh, that's when Terax flew into a black hole, which is the only place that Galactus can't go for some reason. And so, apparently, since uh, a black hole is the absent of all light, the thought is that Dazzler being light can repel that and make it through the black hole. So, she gets locked into Galactus's little power sphere, I don't know what it's called, and hits her with cosmic powers. And when she steps out of there, Galactus is like, oh, hello, now that you have cosmic power, I can talk to you. And <laughs> so she, uh, Galactus has a few words with her, sends her out into space. She's wearing her roller skates for some reason, which doesn't really make any sense. Uh, and she's connected by a lifeline. So basically a cable that connects her to the spaceship uh, Galactus has surrounded her body in some energy to give her oxygen. Uh, so she is, she's 
she's she's cosmic right now. She's got a very high level of power. And so she goes into the black hole. She makes it through the black hole. It's all warpy and crazy, and she thinks she's going to lose her mind. And then she finds Terax, who apparently is standing in this other dimension or whatever, just standing on a rock, holding his axe. And he's like, you're here to take me back. I don't want to be taken back. So he cuts the lifeline, and that's where the issue ends. Oh, man. Oh, my God. (laughs) I like Galactus. I like Galactus, too. This issue also gave a little bit of backstory. Apparently, like, he was a dude on a planet, and, like, something exploded or something crashed into it. Everybody died except for him, and he just grew huge and... He has an unquenchable hunger that's only satisfied by planets. That part we know. But I guess he's just trying to figure out, like, why he exists. I have a collection with those original Fantastic Four Galactic stories, but I've never, I just haven't read them. I, I really should. I bet you they're good. I mean, I mean, Fantastic, oh, sure they're good. Fantastic Four number 48, that's the first appearance of Galactus. I mean, that's, like, supposed to be a good one. <laughs> those early Fantastic Four, as I've said before, they're just, they're really good. Yeah, I mean, that's. That's, I mean, that's where Stan and Jack were focusing all of their attention and creative juices. So maybe one day I'll pick up some of those omnibuses, but not now, folks. I only have time for the X Men. <laughs> How about you, Adam? Did you do any other reading? Well, I th- I thought I was done with the Avengers, but they keep pulling me back in. <laughs> uh, Avengers two fourteen also came out this month, and uh, in the time that. Beast left the Avengers, and now uh, is apparently when Yellow Jacket uh, Hank Pym uh, started losing his cool and hit his wife oh. Janet Pym. Do you uh, do you recall that? I I am aware that he is a wife beater. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's interesting that you should say that. As Jim Shooter, the writer of that, wrote an article called. Hank Pym is not a wife beater. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, that's how I forever know him because I think they reference it quite a bit. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's like a it's like a keystone uh, event in the Avengers. Uh, um, you know, Hank Pym hit his wife, gave her a black eye. Mm-hmm. It's pretty intense. Uh, so that apparently happened last issue, but we're in Avengers two fourteen, where people, everybody, all the Avengers are just kind of reeling from the effect of uh, Hank Pym being missing, uh, wanted uh, by, the, by, by the Avengers to stand trial and... Uh, for hitting Janet? Well, not, ju- ju- not just for... Yeah, for hitting, for hitting Janet Pym, but also for... Uh, he's really screwing up in the line of duty, um, which, is, of course, in the Marvel Universe is way more important than hitting a woman. Oh, right. Because they still haven't gotten their uh, issues straight yet. Right, right. <laughs> um. And apparently during the initial trial, uh, Yellow Dracket also screwed that up by creating a machine that would invade the trial that he was supposed to be able to be the only one who could defeat, but he lost control of it. And Janet Pym, uh, who he had already, who he, who revealed during the trial that she had a black eye, uh, saved his life. And so he ran away. Hmm. So all of that is going on in the background. We cut to uh, Johnny Blaze, Ghost Rider, oh. sitting on the, uh, I guess, a, a rocky outcrop, a, a outcropping, outcropping uh, mountain in New Mexico, uh, being all miserable and stuff. He's angry at the world, 
he sees a joyriding car with a, a driver, hotshot driver, and a girl, and he decides he's gonna go. He's gonna he's gonna take out the world, and he's gonna start with that joyrider. And the joyrider, as it turns out, is Warren Warren Worthington, who's driving in his brand new car with Candy Southern. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, Warren thinks, ah, oh, it's just Ghost Rider. He's he's probably just saying hi in his creepy old fashion because we used to be champions together. But no, Ghost Rider uh, to- gets him to total the car, uh, nearly killing Candy. And uh, Ghost Rider rips off Warren's shirt. <laughs> wow. Because you got to have, you know, the angel without a shirt. That's his other outfit. Yes, it is. And he challenges uh, Warren to a race, uh, which Warren uses as an opportunity to get Candy, uh, Ghost Rider away from Candy. And uh, that's when Ghost Rider blasts Warren with some hellfire. And Candy manages to find Warren and brings him to the hospital. And then she calls the Avengers hoping to contact Beast, um, but she gets Captain America because Beast is no longer on the team. Uh, strangely enough, Captain America is playing a game called World War II Battle Game, the Battle of Britain. It's like a big-screen video game. It's, it's, <laughs> so he rallies up the uh, remaining Avengers, which is Tiger, Thor, and Iron Man, and they go out to the uh, Echolan Flats of New Mexico where Johnny Storm has, or Johnny Blaze rather, has decided to get a job in the town where Warren uh, Warren Worthington isn't hospitalized because he's wrecked with guilt, and he checks on him daily. Nobody knows who Johnny Blaze is, of course. And uh, the Avengers arrive in town, and now uh, Johnny is worried that they're they're gonna figure him out. But he's like, if I just don't change into Ghost Rider, it'll, it'll be okay. The Avengers go on some silly shenanigans. Tiger buys a cowboy outfit. And some dumb kid, uh, excited by the Avengers playing, being in town and pretending to be Thor, goes up on a water tower and almost dies. And Johnny Blaze says, I gotta save that kid, but the Ghost Rider's acting like a real jerk lately, but he's gotta save the kid. He'll do it, right? So he changes into the Ghost Rider, and Ghost Rider goes towards the kid and is like, eh, forget the kid. He can die for all I care. And he drives off. I'm g- and he says, I'm gonna go kill the Avengers. <laughs> Uh, the kid falls from the water tower, but luckily Iron Man saves him, and uh, the Avengers go after Ghost Rider, but with Hellfire, Ghost Rider is able to defeat Cap, Tigra, and Iron Man, but the Hellfire does not affect Thor. But then there's a cool scene where Thor throws his hammer at Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider hops on his motorcycle and drives away and manages to outrun the hammer, which is like chasing him over three panels, and then he, uh, Ghost Rider guesses that the hammer eventually is going to turn around like a boomerang, and it does. So Ghost Rider then turns around and holds onto the hammer, and with the force of the hammer, pulls himself back towards Thor and slams into Thor with his motorcycle. This is pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, the hammer manages not to hit uh, Thor because it's it's got mystical powers. Ghost Rider was hoping that it would hit Thor and knock him out. But uh, the rest of the Avengers recover and face Ghost Rider, and uh, they're they're mono they're they're all they're all about to take on Ghost Rider when uh, Warren Worthington shows up and says, "Nah, you uh you guys shouldn't fight him. Let me just talk to him," and he's able to talk Ghost Rider down back into Johnny Blaze, and uh, the Avengers leave and they're just like, "Well, Johnny Blaze didn't do anything wrong, so let's go." 
And uh, Cap is reminded of Hank in a way. Hmm. So full circle. So Ghost Rider is like the Hulk? Uh, right now, Ghost Rider is like the Hulk. Uh, at other times, I guess uh, this is what Angel says at the end of the issue, that uh, he's kind of making this up as he goes. But he's like, I think what happens is that when Johnny Blaze is feeling especially low and disappointed with the world and depressed, then the Ghost Rider is a real dick. <laughs> okay. But when uh, when Ghost when Johnny Blaze is feeling all cool and you know in charge, he has more control over the Ghost Rider, and that's how he was with the champions. But hmm. right now, he apparently, is a tough time, and uh, Ghost Rider is bent on taking over the world. So Johnny Blaze is uh, not. Ghost Rider? Depends. <laughs> All right. Sometimes. Okay. But so, not in this issue. Okay. So it's not like, uh, I guess, it doesn't matter. I think it's one of those convenient for the plot things. Okay. All right. Well, then, did you do any other reading? No, that, that is it for this episode. Well, then, until next time, the danger room is closed. 